When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Telling stories of the saints on this podcast, some of my favorite parts are the miracles. Healings, by location, visions, the miraculous founding of things like springs and wells. But I often forget to mention that miracles, amazing and wonderful as they are, are available for each of us to witness. Every Mass is a miracle. Sister Marianne Fatula's book, The Wonders of the Mass and the Eucharist, explores the compelling and touching insights of several saints regarding these miracles. The book is published by Sophia Institute Press. You can find links to purchase and more in the show notes for this episode at thefloweredpath.com. I'd like to welcome Sister Marianne Fatula to the show. How are you doing today? Oh, beautifully. Thank you so much, Tim, and what a joy to be able to speak with you today. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming on The Flowered Path. I really, really enjoyed your book because Thank you. when I was younger, I kind of had less understanding, and I was kind of jealous of the disciples who got to witness Jesus during the time uh-huh. of the Gospels. I had the feeling that Jesus had left us alone in a sense, but he didn't. <laughs> I, he didn't. And no. you, your book makes that apparent. He left us with the church, with sacred scripture, sacred tradition, with sacramentals, all these wonderful things. But most importantly, he left us with the Mass and the Eucharist. Amen. And it's demonstrated in the Last Supper, of course, but I think it's very beautifully demonstrated in The Road to Emmaus, where <laughs> he meets the disciples on the road, and before disappearing, he once again 
took the bread and said the blessing. Yes. So yes. before he goes, he leaves us always with the Eucharist, it seems. Amen. So I'll just read your bio. Sister Marianne Fatoulis served as a professor of theology at Ohio Dominican mm -hmm. University for more than 30 years, taught theology there. Sister Marianne is the author of Catherine of Siena's Way, The Holy Spirit, Unbounded Gift of Joy, Thomas Aquinas, Preacher and Friend, Heaven Splendor, and Drawing Close to the Holy Spirit. So before we get into your book, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you come to write these books? Yes, and, and before we begin, I'd really ask, like to ask the Holy Spirit to anoint our conversation and to bless in a beautiful way of all those who may be listening and along with their loved ones, and that He may gain us the grace that everything within us may be for the glory of the Blessed Trinity, especially of uh, this uh, conversation of ours. Uh, amen. <laughs> amen. Thank you, Sister. Uh, <laughs> Well, I have a simple life. I've been blessed with beautiful parents who are, I pray and trust in heaven now. I'm the second oldest of eight children. I was very blessed to be drawn by the Lord to join the Dominican Sisters, not then known as St. Mary of the Springs in Columbus, Ohio. And then I was blessed again to be able to study for and gain my doctorate in systematic theology at the Catholic University of America. And then the rest of my life was spent teaching my wonderful students at Ohio Dominican University. So that's my life in a, in a nutshell. When I had finished a little book on the Holy Spirit, the second one, and I very much felt the Holy Spirit drawing me to, for myself, gather together the best and sweetest, the deepest writings of beautiful saints, friends of mine, and as I gathered together their writings on the Eucharist, on the Mass, I was so touched that I knew that others would be also touched. And that's how the book came to be. And Sophia Institute Press is a wonderful publishing company. I love the people there. They've been very kind, and, and they graciously accepted this book, for which I am very grateful. They are very, very nice people to work with. They are wonderful people, yes. absolutely. Well, this podcast <laughs> is about saints generally and just before we get into a little the, the, more of the deeper stuff a little <laughs> light question here do you have a favorite saint either among the ones you write about in the book or otherwise well i love all the saints that i have in that book but but i have to and i love especially of course saint thomas aquinas and catherine of siena my fellow dominican saints but i have to say my very favorite is saint john chrysostom because uh, St. Thomas himself drew from him so much. St. John Chrysostom, a, 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 an early church father, lived in, in the 300s into the 400s, and who was the bishop, finally, of, of uh, Constantinople, was known as the Golden Mouth. He, he was a tremendous preacher. But his writings, all of his writings about the Lord, but especially about the Mass and the Eucharist, are filled with such profound insight but also with such uh, tenderness. He is what I would call a lover. <laughs> he speaks of the Lord who, uh, you know, gently, tenderly allows St. John, the beloved disciple, to rest on his heart during the Last Supper because he wanted to show all of us where he wants us to be. And St. John Chrysostom says that we let us not envy the apostles who had this tremendous intimacy with the Lord, physical. And St. John Chrysostom really emphasizes the physicality of the, the gift of the Eucharist. He says, at Mass, Jesus himself is making present to us his one Last Supper, his one death and resurrection on the cross, but he's bringing them to us in, forward in time so that we are as personally present to that at the Last Supper, at his crucifixion, as the apostles were. And he says, and let us not envy the apostles for their closeness, their physical closeness to the Lord, because we, he says, we touch him, we see him, we eat him. And so I love his emphasis on, on the physical closeness of the Lord to us and how he physically he makes present to us the physicality of his death on the cross, his, his Last Supper. Every time we are at Mass, we are at the Last Supper. We are present at his crucifixion as surely as the apostles were. And I have to say his emphasis also on the precious blood of Jesus, the power 
of the precious blood which flowed down the cross for us. He says, when we receive the Lord in the Eucharist, even if we receive under one species, we receive all for the Lord. So he says, when we go to Holy Communion, let us receive the Lord as if drinking from his side, his precious blood from his side. So beautiful, John Chrysostom. This is a long answer, <laughs> but I dearly love him. <laughs> that kind of goes into our next question, which gets a little more serious and deeper, I think. So according to surveys today, there's a large segment within the church, within the Catholic Church, of people who struggle with the idea of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And you found that these early church fathers, like John Chrysostom, were addressing this early on. Absolutely. I mean, is, so the, the Gospels were written in the first century, and I mean, we have in, immediately after that, St. John uh, Justin Martyr, who died around 165, is writing, he says, the food of Christians, uh, he's writing this to the emperor, is the flesh and blood of Jesus who was made flesh. This is very interesting because he has a very profound insight he says, we receive from the apostles what Jesus himself said. And Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. And but Jesus did not say, this is a remembrance of my body. This is a remembrance of my blood. He does say, do this in remembrance of me. Mm -hmm. But St. Justin points out, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me because this is my body, because this is my blood. And of course, we have St. Irenaeus, who died around 200, that focuses on the same teaching. The Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ. And St. Cyril of Jerusalem, who lived in the 300s, when he was instructing his catechumens, he says, Jesus himself has declared to us, this is my body. Who shall dare to doubt this? He himself declared, this is my blood. Who will dare say that it is not his blood? And I have to say, uh, these early church fathers, almost all of them were teachers, bishops. Mm -hmm. And what they did in their homilies is that they, they taught their people. And I would love to see as part of the Eucharistic revival that priests would get back to that mission to not give just a pious meditation on, on a moral topic, but really to teach their people, teach them about these sacred mysteries. And I do think that many will, I know myself talking to other people, they say, oh, we're so, we're so happy when Father teaches us something. And so this, that's the first thing, how to help regain this. But then also, uh, so many of the church fathers will absolutely demand in a gentle but kind way, you know, the worship, the adoration, the reverence due to the Lord Jesus in the Eucharist. And so ask their people to show that reverence. And I do think that if we had, um, you know, priests who really insisted on quiet before Mass and, and after Mass, and, you know, this is a quiet the Lord is present. And if we ourselves who go to Mass would show that worship and adoration, spend time before Mass, a little bit of time after the Mass, instead of rushing right up, we would make an impact because uh, saints like St. Elizabeth Ann Seton tells us she was converted initially by the worship that she witnessed when she was in Italy. She just was overcome with tears when she witnessed the worship that Catholics showed to the Eucharist. But that's because they were taught <laughs> what the Eucharist really is. So again, that's a long answer to, <laughs> to, to your point. But yes, I mean, when the Lord himself said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And his disciples walked away. So this unbelief started with, well, I mean, right at the time of Jesus, only a few stayed, his apostles. And the Lord Jesus did not say, oh, wait a minute, I didn't mean that. You misinterpreted me. You know, he says, he turns and he says to Peter, you also walk away. He doesn't soften or change the teaching. And of course, Peter says, Lord, where else can we go? So it is an act of faith. And this is a faith that we need to pray for. And we need the, the instruction and the teaching. And I myself have been drawn to really pray much more that both for myself and others, that we may be given the grace of a deeper faith 
in this tremendous precious gift of the Mass and the Eucharist that the Lord has given to us. I had a very, very beautiful moment. It was just last year we had adoration in church after, I think it was on the Feast of Corpus Christi. And, oh, praise God. And I was praying about forgiveness, and, and I was wondering if I was, like, struggling with something. It's you know, it a very personal kind of uh, intimate thing, mm -hmm. but it was it was the time and place for it, I think. And I was overcome with the most intense and most beautiful feeling that I can only describe it. Like I've tried to describe it to people as like, I guess this is true forgiveness. Like this is what forgiveness. Amen. And <laughs> it, it was like the most wonderful thing. And, and ever since mm -hmm. then, I don't get every week, but I try to get to adoration as much as I can. It's such an important Amen. part, just sitting quietly with our Lord and having Absolutely. those moments. And you know, Tim, it, even for those who are not able to get to Eucharistic Adoration, and more and more Catholic parishes are offering Eucharistic Adoration during the week. Of course, the Lord is present always yes. um, in the tabernacle in every church, but there's a special grace given at the exposition of the Blessed Sacrament. But even if people can't do that, if they would only ask the Lord for the grace to come early before Mass, spend 10 or 15 minutes before Mass, close our eyes, and just rest in the Lord, those graces would be flowing. Uh, but so many times, unfortunately, in our churches, and I've experienced this, you walk into church and it's kind of like a gab fest. Mm. And hopefully this Eucharistic revival will really change that so that our place, our each, every church, Catholic church, becomes truly that center where the Lord is worshipped and adored. And people walking into the church, just as this happened to um, Elizabeth and Seton, will be touched by the adoration and the worship that they see among other people there and be drawn to enter into that worship. This is a parenthesis, but I do love this comment of St. John Vianney, <laughs> who says, And so when you leave Mass and people ask you where you have been, you tell them, I have been in heaven and I am carrying heaven home with me. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. I mean, we really are. And St. John Chrysostom really focuses on that. You know, the curtain is drawn back, and when we are at Mass, we are not only at the past made present, but heaven itself. The veil is open, and we are present in heaven. So this tremendous worship before the Lord that we really need to have— <laughs> Because the Lord is worthy, but also because it this worship brings draws other people to worship the Lord. You know, let us pray for that gift in whatever way we can do this in our lives. As you say, come to Mass early, stay a while after Mass, you know, enter into Eucharistic adoration when it's offered in our churches. These are blessings that people will never regret spending time. Uh, St. John Vianney also says, don't be so busy about so many things that you don't have time to spend with the Lord. Yes. Yes. It's it's very easy to convince ourselves we're too busy. And, Amen. And we're not. Amen. I started saying the rosary every day over a year, about a year and a half ago. And if you would have told me before that, you know, I would say, oh, I, I don't have time for that. I'll never get it. <laughs> no, there is time. There, there absolutely is time. Absolutely. You, you can absolutely. make time. And, you know, Tim, it strikes me again, and I've said this many times, if there were a huge announcement made today that tomorrow the Lord Jesus himself would be at our local church, you know, available for healing, <laughs> that he would make present to us his, his death and resurrection, you know, his Last Supper, and our response would be, oh, I'd love to go, but I, I mean, I'm really too busy. <laughs> I mean, none of how who would say that? We wouldn't be able to get near the church. Mm -hmm. But this is what happens at every Mass. Jesus himself is there. And again, St. John Chrysostom, all the saints say, you know, pray to your physical eyes, see the priest or the bishop, but close your, the eyes of your body and see with the eyes of your soul, with the eyes of faith, it is Jesus himself through the priest or the bishop who is there, and he's offering the same healing power, the same forgiveness, the same consolation, the same sweetness to us that he did give to his apostles. As Catholics, we often get asked by Protestants about the sacrifice of the Mass, what it yes. means and what, what is happening there, and, and how do you answer that question? 
again, this is so profound, a mystery of our faith, because on the cross, the Lord Jesus offered himself to the Father as the perfect sacrifice of love. A sacrifice means you give everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, I mean, the sacrifice is what is consumed, and, and what the Lord Jesus did on the cross was offer himself in infinite love to his Father on our behalf. And not because the Father is a vengeful Father who needs reparation made to him, but because Jesus himself on the cross, the death on the cross is completed only by his resurrection. And by his resurrection, he now lives within us to be our power of love. So what he did on the cross, he did so that in his risen glory and living in us, he could be our power of love so that we would make our own lives a sacrifice of love. And, you know, we don't like the word sacrifice, but all that it means is you give yourself completely. You know, hopefully people do this in marriage and parents give themselves so completely to their children and for their children. So at the Mass, the sacrifice of himself that the Lord Jesus made on the cross, this is what happens at Mass. He is making present to us that one sacrifice. He's not repeating it. As St. John Henry Newman said, this life-changing, this astounding event of the Lord's giving himself completely in the most horrible suffering, because then in our suffering, in his risen glory, he could be the power for us in our suffering. Not that we would just imitate him, but he would actually be our power. And John Henry Newman says, that event on the cross is too profound and life-changing and world-shattering to just be relegated to the past. <laughs> it must always be present. This, this is what Jesus has done. He has made this life-shattering event of his precious death on the cross present to us so that it never is past, it is never done and over. And that's what it means to say that the Mass is the sacrifice of love, the sacrifice of the Mass. We are not at Mass remembering what Jesus did on the cross for us. We are there as surely as the Apostles were. Amen. Speaking of those outside the faith, I know this from experience and <laughs> trying to explain it to people. <laughs> Transubstantiation is the most difficult thing I think it is for people outside of Catholicism to understand. We usually just say, well, that's the mystery of faith. But I was wondering if you or if you have advice from the saints or have any idea to explain this concept to curious or doubtful people who are not Catholic. Yes. Well, transubstantiation is just a big word for a very clear reality. What it means is that When the Lord Jesus, through the priest or the bishop, says at the consecration at Mass, as the Lord Jesus himself did at the Last Supper, when he says, this is my body, this is my blood, then all of the bread is changed into the precious body of Jesus, and all of the the wine that used to be wine, is now completely the precious blood of Jesus. So what remains is not partially bread and and partially the body of Christ or just a symbol of the body and blood of, of the Lord. All of the bread and wine are completely changed into the precious body and blood of Christ. That's what transubstantiation means. So that the appearances of bread and wine remain the taste, but the, the reality, when we are in the presence of the Eucharist, we are in the presence of the precious body and blood of the Lord, not of, you know, body and blood and wine and bread. No, there's no, and that's all that transubstantiation means. And, you know, St. John Henry Newman said, and he was, he was very Catholic in his belief before he uh, converted from Anglicanism to being a Catholic, he said, you know, transubstantiation to me when I was an Anglican, I didn't see that as, as necessary, as a necessary word. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, but once once he became Catholic, he said, you know, he had prayed, and both he and um, Elizabeth Ann Seton, who were converts to the faith, prayed for the gift of the faith. And they said, you know, Father, if what the Catholic Church teaches is the truth, and you are drawing me to that truth, then give me the faith to believe that truth. And so he said when he became a Catholic, I mean, there was no problem. You know, transubstantiation, he, he got it. And that's really what faith does. So 
it's a big word for a simple, wonderful, tremendous reality. All of the bread and wine at the precious words of Jesus are turned into, by his word, to the priest or bishop, into his precious body and blood. Nothing remains except the appearances. So when we receive the Eucharist, we're not receiving a holy piece of bread. We are truly uh, receiving the precious body and blood of Jesus. And for anyone who isn't Catholic, if you notice the care and the reverence taken by the priest to capture you know, every crumb, to make sure absolutely, absolutely. everything is accounted for, mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, also, Elizabeth Van Satan makes a very profound comment, because she had many doubts. She was so drawn to the Lord in the Eucharist, but she had so many horrible things said to her about the Catholic faith by her friends, Mm -hmm. that as she writes to to a friend, she says, at this point, if I should ever become a Catholic, it would be a first-class miracle. But she said that she, again, prayed as John Henry Newman did, If what the Catholic teaches is the truth, the truth that you taught the apostles, and that the apostles transmitted to the Church Fathers, and that this is what I am believing as a Catholic, then give me the faith to believe this. And she says, what happened is that she realized in her heart that we believe that something is true. We will never believe how this happened. She said, how can... I believe that Jesus is God the Son. How could God the Son be a baby in his mother's womb? And she said, and so therefore, when I see that the Lord Jesus, who turned water into wine, and we believe, you know, as God the Son, he turned nothing into everything Mm -hmm. in the creation of the universe, is it so difficult for me to believe that he could change and turn bread and wine into his precious body and blood. St. Seton, I stumbled across just a little book about her just in a used Uh, bookstore. And uh, I got it, and I I was reading through, and it had some of her letters in it. Oh, she's wonderful. (laughs) The letters she writes are are just so beautiful and poignant before she's converted. I I don't have the direct quote, but it's it's something along the lines of, you know, I'm so jealous of these Catholics. They have the Lord (laughs) present in their church at all times. Yes, absolutely. And she she, she actually writes and she said, oh, how happy uh, we would be if we believed what these dear souls believe, uh, that they possess God in the sacrament and that he remains in their church. And she recounts that when she she was brought to Mass by a beautiful Catholic family, the Felicis, who were caring for her and her daughter after her husband very tragically died um, in Italy. But it was through their example. and they, Whatever they did, she did. So they took her to, to Catholic Mass with, with them, you know, when they went. And she said that when she uh, saw the adoration of the people before the Blessed Sacrament, she spontaneously fell to her knees and wept a torrent of tears, she wow. said. Yeah, exactly. And she says, when she, she said she was so overcome with what these dear souls believed. She said, those Catholics must be the happiest people on the face of the <laughs> earth. Would That would be so. <laughs> she said, uh, she writes, I don't know how anyone can have any trouble in this world who believes all that these dear souls believe. If I don't believe it, it shall not be for want of praying. See, so she prayed constantly. She was so drawn by what these Catholics had. (laughs) And even though with her doubts, she said, well, uh, then I, then Lord, if you want me to be one of them, then you give me the faith that uh, I will fill me and say, yes, this is the truth. Uh, and so she began to, you know, adopt Catholic practices, and they felt so at home with her. But even <laughs> at one point, she says, I resolved that I shall stay an Anglican. And, but then she went out to the Catholic Church, and she said, if I left home a Protestant, I returned to it a Catholic. She couldn't resist wow. uh, everything. Yes, it, it's just a beautiful, beautiful account of her conversion. I think the, probably one of them, other than St. Augustine, but maybe even more so because we have so much from her in her letters. She recounts in her own words 
her struggles, her lack of faith, and how, but she was irresistibly drawn by the gift of the Lord in the Eucharist and what was occurring at Mass, that she, in spite of herself, she wanted what these Catholics had. <laughs> and so she started to pray for the grace. She said, I can't believe everything but they believe, but, I, but whatever it is, I want it. So again, Lord, if you want me to have everything these Catholics have, then you have to give me the faith to believe that what the Catholic Church teaches is the truth. And by the way, this is a parenthesis, but when John Henry Newman became a Catholic, he said, uh, you know, when I became a Catholic, it was like coming into port after a raging storm. And he said, in everything, he said, uh, you know, once I was given the faith to believe that what the Catholic Church teaches is the truth that Jesus himself taught the apostles, and that it has been transmitted to us. He said, peace flooded my soul. And I've had, uh, actually, I've had um, converts to the Catholic faith tell this to me. Once they were received into the church, doubts that they had, they, made this, they were given the grace of faith. That faith doesn't make things so. Faith is the grace to know that what we cannot see truly is so. And that was certainly the, the case with Elizabeth Van Seton. I just want to take a moment to thank you for listening and to thank everyone who supports my efforts with this podcast. If you enjoy The Flowered Path and you are able to offer some financial support, you can do so by becoming a patron of the show at Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash thefloweredpath. All patrons get the regular episodes ad-free, often before they drop on the podcast feed. Rose and Orchid Tier patrons also get shout-outs on the show, along with occasional bonus episodes and other audio content. And Orchid Tier patrons get monthly merch mailings. You can check out all of the options and benefits at patreon.com slash thefloweredpath. If you want to make a one-time donation, you can do that as well. Just click the support button at thefloweredpath.com and look for the PayPal button that says Donate. If you are unable to support the show financially, you can still help by sharing episodes on social media, share them with your family and with your friends, and by subscribing wherever you are listening. If you feel inclined to leave a nice review, that will help as well. If you could look up our YouTube channel and subscribe, even if you don't listen there, that will likewise help us get these episodes to more ears. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments. Not minutes, like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am lucky enough to live within driving distance of Emmitsburg, so I get to visit. Oh, quite wonderful! Often. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a, a um, the Grotto of, of Lourdes is up there at the National Grotto. A beautiful place to visit and pray. I recommend any, anyone go visit Catholic or not. It's just a beautiful place. But there's on top of the mountain there. There's a kind of a big rock that she would sit and teach children on, and you can it's just it's just yeah. there. It, it makes it so real. It's so beautiful. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, she writes about, uh, after she had become a Catholic, she these are all in letters, she says, you know, this bread of angels, the Lord in the Eucharist, and she suffered tremendously. You know, two of her children died of oh, TB, yeah, yeah. her husband died, I mean, she was penniless, her friends turned, she was, she suffered tremendously, and yet, she writes, this brings me to tears, she says, this bread of angels removes my pain removes my cares and warms and cheers and soothes and contents and renews my entire being. She says, in the Lord Jesus, in the Eucharist, I have found the treasure of peace and contentment, the kindest, dearest, tenderest friend who is physically mine in the Eucharist. Isn't that beautiful? It is absolutely beautiful. Was it in your book? I think it was. Where was she sitting in an Anglican church, and she said she just found herself <laughs> looking out the window at a Catholic church longingly. I, I, it was such a charming story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she was because she was a very devout Anglican. Yes. Um, yes. But she, so when she returned home to New York, she was determined to stay a devout Anglican, and yet it was in spite of herself. She would find a pew where she could look out the window uh, and she could see the Catholic Church. And this again moves my heart to tears when she says, and, and I would look at the bare altar in my church, the Anglican Church, the Episcopal Church where she was. And then I would look with longing out the window at the Catholic Church and long for Jesus who was present there. Isn't that beautiful? It is. She's a wonder. I just. She very, is beautiful. beautiful. I love yeah. her. <laughs> Well, another saint, St. Thomas Aquinas, he made a distinction between the Eucharist and other sacraments. Can you talk about that a yes. little bit? Yes. Yeah. He's, oh, he's truly the church doctor who is the doctor of the Eucharist. He has, he has such a profound love for the Lord in the Eucharist. And he says that the Eucharist, because the Eucharist of all the seven sacraments is the only sacrament that is Jesus, and that is a sacrament of itself, not by someone receiving the Eucharist. So, for example, with baptism, uh, with confirmation, with confession, you need a person to do something, you know, for mm-hmm. example, you for the baptism. The baptism it, sacrament of baptism isn't in the water, but in the action of the water being poured over a person with the uh, sacred words being said. And he says, Jesus himself, who is present in the Blessed Sacrament of the Eucharist, this is the culmination of every other sacrament. Every other sacrament leads to the Lord Jesus. And he says, the sweetness of the Lord Jesus' presence, the power, the, the tenderness, he draws very much from St. John uh, Chrysostom. This, all other sacraments are meant to lead us to the sacrament of the Eucharist, that is, to Jesus himself. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, confession the priest is acting what we say like in persona christi right he's in, yes. In, yes, uh-huh. in, in the person of christ but with the eucharist it's christ it is exactly yeah. exactly yeah it's mm-hmm. really really beautiful and and i do love i mean he he so stresses it is not our belief and i may this is going to sound like a radical statement but even if a priest celebrates mass who has very little faith 
the reality of what happens at Mass, it does not depend on our level of faith, because Jesus himself is the one who is celebrating the Mass, who is making present his death and resurrection. And so it is not our faith that makes this sacrament. Again, it is our faith that helps, that really enables us to see the truth of the sacrament. But he so stresses that that not only the sweetness of the Lord in the, the sacrament of the Eucharist, but that this is the Lord of love. This is the sacrament of love uh, because it contains the Lord Jesus himself. And, and I love his beautiful insight that the, the Eucharist not only inti- it unites us intimately, not only with the Lord Jesus, but also uh, with one another. And I know people experience this. I myself experience this. Those who go are blessed to be able to go to Mass together, perhaps with a family or with a friend, or, or even to those who go to Mass and find the same people there every morning. They maybe not even know their names. The Lord Jesus and the Eucharist unites us. This is a sacrament of love and of uniting us together uh, more deeply than we could imagine, uh, because this is the Lord of love himself. I do love that for the sacrament of matrimony, is very beautiful. Uh, before the couple um, who are joined in the Lord now, before they give themselves to each other in the sealing of their bond of love, they receive the body and blood of Jesus together, who seals their love by his precious body and blood. It's very profound, and it's may, may part of this Eucharistic revival be that, that people recapture the holiness of the sacrament, like the sacrament of matrimony, which, again, is meant to lead us to the Eucharist together, uh, to unite us in the Lord Jesus in his precious body and blood. When I read that in your book, St. Thomas Aquinas, talking about Jesus is in the Eucharist independent of anyone's belief, that was a really Mm -hmm. important and powerful statement. Mm -hmm. I guess I hadn't thought about it. I'm there. I'm there for it. I believe it. But it doesn't matter (laughs) if the person next to me believes it or not. Amen. It's, it's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. So it just really hit me as a very important, it's simple. You know, it's one of these simple statements, mm-hmm. but it's it's very important, and it kind of hit home as this truth. Well, you know, and Pope John Paul II, very, very profound insight. He stresses that, he says, without the Eucharist, the Church cannot live. Meaning the Eucharist is the food, of these, as the early church father said, this is our food. We feed on the precious body and blood of the Lord because the Lord himself said, and these are stark words, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. Well, yes, we can have physical, but what kind of life? And so this profound truth that we live by eating the flesh of Jesus and, and drinking his precious blood in the sacrament of the Eucharist. And once people begin to taste that sweetness, their day goes differently. I, I've had many people say this to me who began the practice with the Lord's grace of maybe going to Mass once or twice or, or more often during the week. And they will, they'll say to me, my whole day just turned out differently. And when I can't get to Mass in the morning, it just like everything's different during the day. There's a tremendous change we can experience, a, a peace that we carry home. And, you know, again, as St. John Vianney says, you're carrying heaven home with you, and, and that is the truth. It is impossible to really be at Mass with, with a prayer. And St. Thomas Aquinas also says, faith is not, you know, great feelings. Oh, you know, I, I feel wonderful. Faith is the desire to believe. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so if we, just, we may not feel anything. And we go to Mass and we say, Oh, Jesus, I want to believe. Help my belief. You know, help me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Our day will be different by our presence at Mass because we have been at the Last Supper. We have been at the crucifixion. We have received into us Jesus himself. How can our day be the same if we don't have that? I had a Jewish friend accompany me to Mass sometime in the past couple months. Um, he was just curious. So I said, you yeah, know, come along. Uh-huh. And at some point he said, you know, this is afterwards, and he said, he was referring to, to the music, the, the more modern kind of music. And he says, oh, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't understand what you get from that. And I said, well, it's 
I, my personal taste, I would love it if everything was like a medieval mess, you know, it's just, but that's my taste. <laughs> but I, I, I thought about it for a moment and I said, well, the church is a big tent and it's got to house a lot of people <laughs> and things are going to change over time and some things are going to get more modern and some things are, but what doesn't change are the sacraments. Absolutely. You know, I actually had a student once in class, he was not a Catholic, and in the class we were, we were learning about the, the Mass and the Eucharist, and one of the other students, who also was not a Catholic, said, oh, I don't know, I've been to Mass, but, you know, I, I just, I love much more, you know, the, 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 the preaching in my church, and, and, I, and the music is so much better, and the fellowship is so much better. So this other young man said, he raised his hand, and he said, but you know what, I'm not a Catholic, but I get it he said it would be wonderful to have good music and a good sermon and good fellowship he said but that's not the heart of what happens at mass mm-hmm. the catholics have jesus himself and uh, saint elizabeth and seton made this profound comment when she said after she had become a catholic she says you know others have services founded on words words of the scripture, words of the sermon, words of the fellowship, words of the hymns, and she says, but Catholics have Jesus himself. Now, it would be wonderful to be prayed for that we would also have good music Mm -hmm. and and good homilies and, you know, and good fellowship, but the bottom line is what Jesus does for us at the Mass and that we receive Jesus himself, and that is the reality of the Mass. Oh, yes. You tell this very striking story in your book about St. Catherine of Siena and this woman with the ulcer. Can you tell that story for us? I found it very striking. Oh, yes. Striking. She was a young person, and she begged. There was a, a group of widows who wore the Dominican habit, and she begged them to be uh, received into their company so that she could wear the Dominican habit. She loved the Dominican habit and loved the, the Dominicans. But she gave herself very much to... A ministry to the sick. She's actually the the uh, patroness of, you know, those who are nurses. Uh, I mean, she's a patroness of so many things. She, she, mm-hmm. She's a preacher, but she did very much to care for the sick. And there was a particular woman who was so so nasty to everyone. No one else would care for her. And she was suffering greatly from a, a tremendously ulcerous wound that had a, a horrible putrid odor. It was horrible, horrible. And Catherine felt the Holy Spirit drawing her to serve this woman. And the woman became very, very um, obnoxious to her and, and actually then started spreading lies. I mean, it, it's how the devil works. So she felt Catherine suffered much uh, from this woman. And at one point, the odor from the woman's wound was so disgusting, so she almost vomited from the odor. This again draws me to tears. So, And she said, Lord, forgive me. And so she stepped aside and she drank from that putrid water with which she had washed the wound. And she said, oh, Jesus, I, I'm sorry for the disgust I'm feeling for this wound. You know, help me and heal me. And later, the Lord Jesus appeared to her and mystically drew her to his side and said, and, and so drink from my side, the sweetness of my precious blood. It's, it's a very profound mystical experience. She was uh, so um, devoted to, to calling others to, to allow the precious blood of Jesus to be the power of conversion in their lives. And, and she saw criminals converted. She would accompany carts that were carrying criminals to their death who would be blaspheming the Lord, and she would uh, intercede for them and beg and plead. And, and she, at one point she says, and am I saying they are worthy of your mercy? No, I'm not telling you they're, they're worthy of your mercy. I'm saying you are worthy to show them mercy. <laughs> very <laughs> bold with the Lord. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they would be converted. So this experience, I think this early mystical experience, was very key in her tremendous focus on the power of the precious blood of Jesus to convert and heal us. And, and many times she will, she will say, no matter what sins you have committed, turn to the power of the precious blood of Jesus, that um, the, the Father is more displeased 
by our lack of trust in his mercy given to us in the precious blood of Jesus than he is by our actual sins. This is very profound and very radical. It is more displeasing to me, the Father tells her, that others are despairing of my mercy and think that their sin is greater than my mercy shown in the precious blood of my son Jesus. And so there's a tremendous grace that Catherine of Siena has in calling people to, she'll say, bathe yourself in the precious blood, which we do at every time we receive the sacrament of confession, and most certainly every time we receive the Eucharist. I myself often say throughout the day, oh Jesus, bathe me in your blood, cover me with your blood. And she says this is such a sweet sense that in the blood is the life. This is certainly what the Hebrews believed, in the blood is the life. And when we ourselves see someone who we, whom we love suffering, but, but especially when blood is pouring out from a wound of a loved one, our, our hearts melt. Mm-hmm. And she says that to visibly see the precious blood flowing from the Lord, you know, in any paintings we see of the cross, and many um, Dominicans have, a, have an inherent devotion to the precious blood of Jesus. For Angelico, I love, in his frescoes of St. Dominic, We'll have, for example, Dominic under the cross, kneeling at the cross, and the precious blood pouring uh, from the cross, pouring down the cross from Jesus. And Dominic has, has his arms open to receive that precious blood, and through his prayers and ministry as a priest to pour it out upon the world. So this initial experience, very profound mystical experience, I think was very crucial in uh, the Lord's giving to Catherine this a tremendous devotion and preaching of the power of the precious blood of Jesus. It's just a striking story. It just really yes. it kind of hit me in the heart <laughs> when, when you talk about caring, uh, caring for people and, yes. and caring mm-hmm. for the poor and <laughs> like what a expression of that, that story relates. It's just stunning. Just really and, stunning. You, and, and Raymond of Capua, who is about her dear friend and biographer, fellow Dominican priest, he devotes many pages to recounting this because, it, I mean, this was a profound experience, not just once. In, in other words, she endured from this woman who would turn against her and then turn toward her. And then she committed slander. She would try to ruin Catherine's name. I, I mean, it was something only the devil could be doing mm-hmm. uh, in disguise. And Catherine, what she put up with, what she endured to serve this poor woman, but then how sweetly the Lord uh, blessed her for her death. Yeah. So I spend a great deal of my reading time is is on Lives of the Saints because of this podcast, which I don't regret a second of it, by the way. It's completely (laughs) enriched my life. It's wonderful. But so many saints seem to have this wonderful relationship to the Eucharist. I'm just kind of going over my head some of the saints I've covered on the podcast so far, St. Gemma Galgani, St. Ludwina. So how do you choose? How do you narrow it down and choose which saints to feature in the book? You're absolutely right. There's no saint. Uh, there's absolutely, it's impossible that there's a saint for whom the, the Mass and the Eucharist are not the center of their lives. But I chose, first of all, saints I already loved, but also saints whose writings would really be making an impact on readers in the tenderness and in the depth of insight. So that was my way of choosing uh, because there are, there are many others I could have chosen, but the ones I've chosen, I chose them for for the sweetness, the tenderness, the depth of insight, and their readability. I mean, you're drawn into what they write. They're not high in the sky. High, you know, they speak to our souls. And I find myself in all of these saints in the book, I go back and again and again. I don't say, well, I read that and, you know, put the book down. I go back. They draw me because the Holy Spirit really anoints them. So it was because of the power of their insights. So they had to have written something. There are saints, certainly, who have been very powerfully promoting the Blessed Sacrament. And But in terms of the writings they have, I chose writings that would be especially touching to our souls. So these are the ones that I dearly love and that certainly touched my soul. Well, I think you made good choices. Do you have a favorite story about one of the saints that, that we haven't talked about that's in your book? In terms of depth of insight, it would definitely be St. John Chrysostom. But in terms of stories, I do think that Elizabeth Ann Seton is unbeatable. (laughs) When I first started going through her writings, I found myself constantly crying. It was Mm. just she brought me to tears, uh, her sufferings, because she speaks of her experience 
in her own words. And so you see other uh, saints, uh, they will speak about the mystery, uh, the mysteries themselves of the Mass and the Eucharist. But what we have in Elizabeth Ann Seton is her struggle. First of all, the irresistible drawing that the Lord in the Eucharist exerted upon her soul. She could not resist him. She wanted what those Catholics had. She wanted it, but she didn't want everything. <laughs> she, wanted, she, wanted, she said, I don't know how I can believe all those Catholics believe, but, but that I want. <laughs> then she said, <laughs> so she said but, but I see I can't have it unless I believe everything, because it's true. The Lord in the Eucharist is the summit and source of the Catholic faith, mm-hmm. and everything falls apart without it. I mean, this is the center of our faith, and everything, uh, you know, builds toward it. This is why she's so compelling to see her struggle. We can all identify with her doubts and her fears, and but oh my heavens, then to read uh, the contentment in her soul, again, so deeply did she suffer, continue to suffer, and you would never know it. I mean, she's, she writes that the, the Lord in the Eucharist, again, uh, gives her such profound contentment. She says the sweetness of the Eucharist, she could never put into words. And of course, St. Thomas Aquinas says this, very deeply, but he doesn't tell us of his own experience. Yeah. But St. Elizabeth Anseton does, and that's why I love the stories she tells about her own life, because they are in her words. Yeah, they are beautiful. Growing up in Maryland, she was just kind of background present always, you know, in the, in the Catholic family. <laughs> you know, I just heard yes. about it. to the point where you almost don't learn her story because, you know, just people are, oh, you know, there's St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Catholic Church, there's this. And learning a little bit more as I grew older, it's really poignant and it's very interesting that she is, I believe she was the first canonized saint, American saint, right? Yes, I think that's, I mean, I think that's true. I could be wrong. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. if we're both thinking it, she's one of the first. Born in the the USA. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's one of the first anyway. So, yeah, it's it's just really neat to read some of those stories. And like I said, some of her letters are just beautiful, beautiful. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So the book is The Wonders of the Mass and the Eucharist. It's by Sister Marianne Fatula. Thank you for coming on The Flowered Path. Any plans for future books? Well, the Holy Spirit will have to put that in my heart. All right. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Tim. It was such a joy and blessing to speak with you. And uh, may the Lord continue to bless your, your wonderful work for His glory. You, I admire you so much, and I really ask the Lord to bless you and, and all of your listeners, because you're just doing such uh, such profound and, and uh, tremendous work to glorify Him and bring others uh, to love Him. So thank thank you. you so much. Thank you so much. Once again, Sister Mary Ann Fatula's book is called The Wonders of the Mass and the Eucharist. It's published by Sophia Institute Press. Links are in the show notes for this episode at thefloweredpath.com. We're still waiting on the restocks of the Flowered Path t-shirts. The original shipment never turned up from UPS. However, we did add some new items to the Etsy shop. Besides the paracord rosaries, we also added adjustable length paracord necklaces with saint medals. There are only a couple ready to go, but we have many saint medals on hand. So if you want a saint who isn't there, just contact us. If we don't have it on hand, we can see if we can get it for you. We also added bandanas with a Blessed Virgin Mary print to the shop. It's a really nice design, and there are less than 20 available, so check them out. Our Etsy shop name is Lost Grave. When you go there, you'll see a lot of art and books related to the other podcast I do with my wife, Strange Familiars. But there is a section for the Flowered Path, where you can find the items I mentioned here. There are links for the Etsy shop in the show notes as well. You can find The Flowered Path on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Flowered Path. The Flowered Path is on Instagram as well, at The Flowered Path, one word. And The Flowered Path is on the web, at thefloweredpath.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.